Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Central Texas Life with Ann Harder. Hello and welcome. Today, a very special guest coming to us via Zoom from Sacramento, California. It is Anita Faye Garner, who is the author of this book, The Glory Road, A Gospel Gypsy Life. Now, country music legend Roseanne Cash says of this book, this is a story so central to the origins of country music. Now, Anita, it's great to have you with us. You know, you've written your, of your life as a child with traveling evangelist parents. Before we get into your childhood story, tell us about your life right now and uh, your wonderful career that you have had in radio in San Francisco and L.A. Well, writing still, writing a, a, a book in progress right now, set in the same universe as The Glory Road, but a few years later after the Southern Migration to the showbiz capital, Hollywood. So about the early 60s, that's where I'm writing. And my career, uh, honestly, I'm not even sure I chose it. Uh, although I used to complain as a little girl about being wakened on a Saturday morning to go sing on the family's radio program. Wouldn't you know, I just stayed right in front of a microphone for the next several decades. So basically raised on radio and then stayed. Well, radio is a great career. We have a mutual friend, J.D. Hinton. In fact, he's the reason we're having this conversation. He he contacted me. We worked together at WACO. Or we both worked at WACO, put it that way, um, back many years ago. And he told me about your book. Um, Anita, I, just, I couldn't put it down. I mean, it was, it's so well written. Your writing style is so compelling. Thank but you. For this to be your story. This is, you know, about your close relationship with your brother, your colorful California granny that you had, mm-hmm. but it really is about your parents, Fern and brother Ray Jones. Um, let's talk about, first of all, how, how long have you been writing this story? I mean, we're both baby boomers. This was taking place, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, right? I started writing this years and years ago, decades ago, stories, essays, complaints when I wrote as a child. And then I wrote a version for the stage, which instead of being called a musical, we called it a play with music because the music was not original 
uh, to the, it wasn't written for the show. It was my mother's music. Mm. If you hear dogs barking in the background, they <laughs> that's, are. That's quite all right. <laughs> They're in the other room and they have piercing little barks. Um, I started out to write this as a memoir. Once I decided I would pull together everything I had written, I was going to write my life story. Interesting thing happened on the way to writing a memoir. The characters, the times, if you think about the times, the 50s, the 60s, back to the 40s, segregation in the Deep South, uh, the religious transition from formal to personal Jesus, the evolution of music, it turned into really sort of a novelish music memoir. And I think it features probably more people than myself. It features, it features them more than me, I should say. Well, your, your relationship with your brother really was special in, in that you, you were kind of um, compadres in, in being dragged along <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to all of the, the different um, events and, and services and so forth that, that your parents were, were called to do as traveling itinerant evangelists. Mm -hmm. um, he he really kind of Leslie sort of expressed his his anger about the whole situation maybe a little bit more than you did. Is that well? In fact, I don't know how I would have survived or who I would have been without Leslie Ray. We're just twenty months apart. He was angry at the way we were being raised. I would say that he got mad and then I got sad but he was far braver in my estimation. As a little girl, I would see him rebel and I would think, oh man, I wish I were strong enough to do that. So I would just follow along and he led the way. We just didn't like being itinerant musicians and being preacher's kids under tents. We just didn't love it. Yeah, um, there are so many stories about preacher's kids and, and problems that they have, you know, it, later really just uh, assimilating and um, into the faith. And I guess really that's the, my, my big question. What did this life do to your personal faith life? Well, interestingly, I am a believer. I'm a person of faith, have been, but I don't think I see um, God in the way that uh, he was pictured to me as a child. Now, my father was one of the early fundamentalists, very, very strict, faith healing only, no makeup, no movies, no dancing. Um, and his was the only way into heaven. And, and when I say things like that, it sounds like I'm painting a picture of a man who uh, would be held to live with, but indeed he was a very kind man, very gentle man. And Leslie and I came to know early on that he really did believe that we would go to hell if we did not accept his mandates. And so you can see that that sets up a conflict that simply can't be resolved unless one of you bends. So, I, I, you know, sometimes I'm not sure whether Leslie was angry or whether he just developed early on a very strong desire to not be told what to do. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And, and so he, you know, he opened doors for me to rebel in what small ways I could. My faith is probably stronger now than it ever has been. Le I'm, I'm what I would call churchy. I enjoy 
uh, the rituals in church. I can go to anybody's worship service with them and see what it is from that worship that gives them comfort. Now, my brother never again sought solace mm -hmm. in church. That's what I feared that probably was the case. Mm -hmm. It was it was such a I mean, you're saying your dad wasn't harsh. Except in his belief system of what, you know, what had to happen, how, how you had to behave. Well, if you look at from and believe me, I would have written this book earlier if I could have, if I had forgiven. But it was it was when I began to know that I had to finish the book that I realized, oh, I have I think I finally let go of so much of that resentment. Mm -hmm. But I had to come to the conclusion, and I think Leslie did too, that um, it must have been awful for daddy to look at two kids whom I'm sure he loved and believe we were going to hell. Think about that. If his belief was so strong that if you didn't, you had to have a personal conversion experience, you had to speak in tongues, you had to be baptized, you then there was a whole list of thou shalt nots. He truly believed that if any of those was breached, we would end up in hell. And of course we breached them. And yeah. so we were stuck for the rest of our lives, knowing that we were not going to be able to gain daddy's full acceptance. Well, he had an opportunity, Leslie Ray did to sort of escape. And that was via your grandmother, your yes. mom's mother. And again, mm -hmm. what a colorful figure she was um quite the quite the rebel I guess herself of course she had I think she loved her daughter and was was very concerned about her health and mm -hmm. uh, that's something that sort of came out later in the in the book uh when she had your little sister when your mom had your little sister and and of course again the times being what they were probably didn't talk about women being pregnant, you know, didn't those kind of things were sort of kept from the children, but there was so much that was kept from, uh, from you and your brother. Mm -hmm. And uh, Grandma Kay, uh, which is what we called her, she married uh, for a second time and his last name was unpronounceable for us. So <laughs> she was Grandma Kay. Yeah, she was our favorite sinner. My dad thought that everything she did was a sin and we couldn't wait <laughs> to learn more about it. So when we were with her in California, we got to observe how some other people live. Um, yeah, she and, um, and my mother, Fern, had um, a relationship that I've since seen in many families. They simply couldn't do without each other and then they couldn't do when they got together. Mm -hmm. Somebody would blow up. But uh, yeah, the big issue was my mother's religion and the fact that it precluded doctor visits and mother had some serious health issues. So her mother, of course, was never going to approve of their choices. And, and it affected you as well. I mean, I think you, of course. you had a, a real problem that your father would not seek medical care. And, and I got the impression you felt like, well, he just doesn't care about me. If, well, if he's not, you know. Little. And when you're little and you find out that there's a doctor in town and that other people go see him, yeah. Leslie and I were always playing catch up in terms of feeling less than normal and whatever normal was. And believe me, we, you know, we lived a whole bunch of places for a few, a couple of years, a year, a few months. We would observe how other kids react 
addicted to things and what they did. Well, they all went to doctors and we didn't. And very difficult to feel that your parents uh, liked you when they wouldn't get you help when you were sick. You were taken down to the altar and prayed over. Yeah. Your um, your study, though, of the personalities involved, uh, family members that you knew so well. But I, I love what you wrote about a Grandma Kay saying, I don't believe Leslie Ray expected Grandma Kay would fill any of the emotional gaps left by never having a real relationship with an on-duty mother. We knew our own mother had also never had a real mother, and she carried unhealed wounds from it. So this very grandma who was offering to spring my brother from his religious prison was no more suited to impart warmth and wisdom to him than Sister Fern was. I mean, what a what a sad paragraph, but... But in a nutshell, that was what was going on, what was what was wrong. Yeah, it was. However, Leslie was either smart enough or lucky enough to accept Grandma's invitation to get him the heck out of the South. Mm-hmm. I, and as I say there, I'm not sure that he thought that, that life at home would be much different, but he would have a car, he would have freedom, firstborn son in a southern family and then you know during those days the women just fought over him they fought to liberate Leslie so (laughs) grandma won that one and I think Leslie probably was smart to go ahead and move he had already given up on having emotional sustenance so you might as well take the Pontiac that grandma K will buy you (laughs) well and and he he kind of lived it up in uh in Cali oh he did (laughs) Well, your experience, I, I think, one another part of the book, and I think it, it's kind of typical of how children were raised back then, seen and not heard. They're just sort of there, and um, your feelings weren't really um, recognized. For example, when you learned the family was moving to California, you found out in a church service along with the other congregants. I mean, that, mm-hmm. and it was palpable, the, um, the rage that you felt at being treated that way. I mean, it's just sort of, I, mean, I can't imagine parents doing that. No, it's interesting, too, the dichotomy in that they never um, allowed us to know what was going to be affecting our lives next, and yet... If you were around Ray and Fern, you would think of them as two of the most verbal people you had ever met. They dreamed out loud. They agonized out loud. They romanced out loud. If you were a kid of theirs sitting in the back seat riding all over the country, you knew everything they wished for, hoped for, regretted. And yet, we didn't find ourselves in their stories, in the dreams they wove. We were looking through a, a glass that, at what they were doing. And, and yes, not a consideration about, oh my, that's right. We have children and they have to go to school. What are we going to do? Yeah, yeah, it was like, that was sort of an afterthought. Oh, we'll figure it out, Kinda. you know, when, when yeah. we get there. Um, your gypsy life, I mean, that you put that in the title of the book, A Gospel mm-hmm. Gypsy Life. I mean, that seems to be the crux of what you were longing for, and that was some stability. 
and something mm-hmm. to to really hang your head on is this is home. This is a place for me. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk more about that and talk more about uh, about your mom and her remarkable career and some of the music she wrote. So stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Sarah. And I'm Carter. And this is Some of Our Thoughts. We're two Southern sommeliers, and we want to share everything we love and know about wine. We started hanging out during quarantine and cooking and drinking and listening to music, and we just thought this would be a great way to bring everything we know to you guys. We will make wine knowledge and food pairings easy and approachable. So put on your favorite vinyl, grab your favorite glass of wine, tune into our show, and let's have some fun. Wine Wine and vinyl. vinyl. (laughs) So check us out on roguemedianetwork.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. We'll be talking about a lot. Hey y'all, I'm April. Hi, I'm Caroline. And we have a new podcast for you. What's it called, Caroline? Uh, Bloody Happy Hour. It's going to be your new favorite guilty pleasure. We're going to talk about some bloody stuff. Serial killers. True crime. Rape. <laughs> Rapists. Why not join us? We'll have a good time. You literally never know. I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> bloody Happy Hour. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to One Star Rewind, a new podcast about those dreaded one-star reviews that every business owner hates to receive, but yet every customer loves to read. During this podcast, we will peel back that one-star review to better understand how it happened, when it happened, and what the business owner is doing after receiving that one-star review. This podcast will be about love, hate, and laughter. On One Star Rewind, we will meet with real business owners will tell their stories and how they do rely on reviews for their business. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or download us at roguemedianetwork.com. Please subscribe, but only rate and review for not a one-star review. Join us each time for a new review and a new story. We are back with Anita Faye Garner, who's written The Glory Road, A Gospel Gypsy Life. Uh, Anita Faye, your 
your recollections of your childhood um, on the road, you know, in a way, I'm a singer. I know you're a singer as well. Um, it, it's always fun for me to perform. And and yet it was like, don't make me sing. I don't want to, I'm not. And your brother was like flat out, I'm not going to sing. You cannot make me sing. I'm not going to sing. And I thought, you know, that's, it really is is so sad, especially for people who love to love to sing. Now you say you, you are still singing. You're writing you're writing a plays that have music in it, but your mom, she, she had a real gifting in that area. Fern did. Oh yeah. Oh, her the story. Uh, I think most of the times I'm asked to speak now, it's about that transition that we just happened to live through a chunk of history in American roots music. And it happened that my mother, who was the preacher's wife, in a tiny town when her first song that she wrote was recorded. If you looked at that parsonage where she wrote that song, the post office where we took the tape to, for her to send it away to see if anybody wanted to record it, you would wonder how in the heck did this woman ever get herself a recording career? <laughs> you, that's, that's Fern Jones. So she went from well, she went from a honky-tonk singer in her teens when she met Daddy. And that was when she, she was with her mom, and her mom was okay with that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely okay with that. Yeah. She was, uh, mother was lying about her age and singing in juke joints and honky-tonks in the South when she was in her teens. She had Mother had a radio show when she was 12. Really? And sang with, uh, with a big band shortly after that all over the place. And, of course, her mother uh, went everywhere. So, yeah, my mom started off writing a lot of gospel songs and if you look at the at the lyrics it is shocking to me let me leap forward to where they are today i don't have a list in front of me but if i did um mother's music has been remastered reissued we were fortunate enough to have the masters back from the record label which was a long legal battle her music today is in movies. It appears in the movie Walk the Line, Johnny, the Johnny Cash biography. It's on so many shows that are streaming. Um, I see the lists usually. I lease her songs to a record label and they place it. So she's recently been on just about every streaming service you can mention. And when you will be watching a show and up will come uh, my mom singing. And it's exactly the sound that fits the scene. And you think, how did this happen? This was a song that she wrote in the 1950s that is appearing on Apple TV right now. Isn't that <laughs> wonderful? Right, re so, remarkable. You know, but it's it's almost, it's a shame that uh, when she, and I know you write kind of in depth about her recording when she was uh, able to, to record. And um, she... Uh, this well-known song that she wrote, I Was There When It Happened, that Johnny Cash right. recorded several big-name people. And uh, Floyd Kramer was on keyboard for her. Oh, yeah. uh, Buddy Harmon on drums. J.D. Sumner, he was a famous bass singer. He sang with the Sunshine Boys. They were on backup. So, I mean, she had some really big name. They became very big name uh, musicians yeah. in Nashville. And those guys, you know, they don't, they, you just show them once. And they, she couldn't read music. That's right. I, I was lucky enough to finally, I talked to um, the people who owned the Quonset Hub, the Bradley brothers. Uh, Owen was Patsy Klein's producer. And she recorded Quonset Hut, which was right across from RCA in, in Nashville. 
during a two week break when Elvis was home from the army, which is how those studio musicians, that A-team was gathered together. J.D. was uh, Elvis's favorite gospel singer, right. Blackwood Brothers plus J.D. Sumner. Mm -hmm. So Elvis was at, at RCA making, uh, I can't remember the name of the album, Mother was over at the Quonset hut where Patsy Cline recorded, but Mother was before uh, Patsy. And they um, just shared the band back and forth, back and forth. And that's all due to the Bradley brothers, Owen and, and his brother. Um, so yeah, one of the interesting questions somebody asked me recently at an event was about her lyrics because she was a believer and as far as Leslie and I could ever figure, and believe me, we scrutinized every aspect of our parents. She really did believe the same way daddy did, but their love affair was such, they must have had some sort of a deal that he would never ask her to change her style. So she went right from the honky-tonks, married this high country tenor, daddy, who played rhythm guitar and has a high tenor voice. He sang as country as country could be. And so if, if you listen to their music and do when you get a chance, you can find it everywhere. Um, he's still singing Appalachia and she's singing rockabilly. Well, that's how she sang church services, which is how she began to gain some fame as a gospel singer. No woman, uh, no white woman in the South sounded like mother. In fact, she had trouble getting her records played in the South because she sounded like a black woman, but a black station didn't need mother's voice. They had plenty of black singers. See what, she was in a quandary. So here, decades later, um, she, she transitioned with daddy through instrumentation. He was all for amplification of guitars and guitar solos. Mm -hmm. He never held her back, which always surprised Leslie and me. We sort of respected that about their relationship. But she had to kind of sneak around when it was sending her tapes out. You, you yeah, tried we snuck around. We yeah. helped her. We, sort of against our will, but an interesting thing happened. We were kids. We didn't know the difference between a person who writes a gospel song and then how does that person who writes that song get to go and sing that song? We had a mother who sang, who was getting well known as a singer, but couldn't get a record deal, but she got her record deal by going around as a songwriter. Her first song was first recorded by the governor of Louisiana, Jimmy Davis, oh, yeah. who wrote You Are My Sunshine. Mm -hmm. uh, so Jimmy Davis recorded, I was there when it happened, Johnny Cash heard it on the radio because Johnny's mother listened to hymns on the radio. And then Johnny and my mother eventually formed a friendship that lasted uh, until they passed. It's just so interesting um, how, how this really truly is the roots. Uh, and the, the wonderful Ken Burns series on country music was oh. just was was fabulous. And I love what um, writer producer of country music says. The Glory Road, this book, your book, takes us to an important cultural crossroad of America where gospel met rockabilly and Saturday night collided with Sunday morning in the late 1950s in the Deep South. And, uh, yeah, it's it, it's such a, a rich story about you clearly loved each other, but you you had you had problems, different personalities. Again, you're longing for stability. Let's talk a little bit about the pink house, and because you write sort of in in depth about this 
this lovely home that your mother was able to, and she knew exactly what she wanted to put in it, how she wanted to decorate it and uh, paint it. And and yet, you know, it, it was not going to be that long-term home that you wanted. No, and and also my, my parents did tease me years and years later because I, you know, swore I just wanted to settle down and never move again. And don't you know, I went into broadcasting as a career <laughs> and went and went to the cities where they offered me good jobs. And don't you know, I became a nightclub singer. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't fall too far from the tree. And no. I wouldn't say that my life has has been in terms of living in one place not much different from theirs, not as much moving, not, not the traveling on the road, but I've certainly lived in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. you, you did have sort of a pattern set for yourself. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, Daddy, Daddy thought that was, Daddy thought that was just funny. He yeah. did not approve of me singing. He didn't approve of me singing in nightclubs oh. because he really didn't feel that if you were quote saved, you should be singing anything except the lord's music outside the house but inside the house i wanted to make it very clear in my book they consumed every kind yeah. of music under the sun and recorded themselves singing every kind of music in the house and it was lovely to hear yeah so that is something they did right i guess that's what i want to ask you because you know it's it's easy to look back as a child and go well you know this wasn't right and that wasn't right and i wish they'd what did they do right in your upbringing. well music and food leslie and I, <laughs> yeah the food get, is leslie and i would get together to go over to their house because we didn't want another sermon so we had a pact we would visit together when we could and if they could they would separate us and take one of us into the other room and say now your brother this woman that he's seeing or or they'd say to leslie your sister is still smoking and uh and and we decided that whenever anything regarding their religious beliefs came up, we would all of a sudden have some place we had to be. And and we'd scoot on out of there. Yeah. So safe topics for us, music and food, and two crucial elements of being a southerner. Yeah, well that is that is true. Your your younger sister, though, um, she's not named in the book. Did she have a problem with the book? Were you writing no, it? Uh, interestingly, well, yeah, she had a problem with the family. She left the family. She and mother had issues. Sometimes mm -hmm. they reminded me of mother and her mother. Yeah. She and mother had similar dispositions. Um, my sister worked for mother. Her name, by the way, is Donna Kay. They rhymed us. Mm -hmm. Leslie Ray, Nita Faye, Donna Kay. Not that unusual either. In no, South. that's Southern. Um, I, I could have named her. She passed away in... Uh, 2018 from cancer and she's younger than I by far and she just I think it was just she had so much that she wanted to get off her chest that she thought someday she'd write a book excoriating everything about probably mother yeah. alone um, I didn't think she would ever write the book sadly I knew she had passed before the book came out, but I chose to respect what she had originally said, which yeah. was, I'm going to write my own book. Now, I will probably write about Donna Kay and some essays and some short stories. And interestingly, my book was too long when it started to go to press. You know, they have a specific, a specific length. And they said, um, 
So I cut back what they wanted in terms of word length. And they said, do you have anything more about the baby? (laughs) Could we know more about the baby? So some of what you're reading in the book about the baby wasn't there originally. I said, oh my gosh, yes, I'm thrilled. I have several other places. I really wanted you, the reader, to see Donna Kay just grabbing onto music with her whole heart as a tiny kid. And I have to say, I think hers was the best voice in the family. Really? I I bet you, I bet if mother were here, she'd tell you the same. Mm -hmm. Donna's range was enormous. Her skill at the piano was enormous. She never had the confidence of Fern. And Mm -hmm. let's face it, you know, being a woman who sang like Fern in the South when she did requires a lot of bravado. Um, so I don't think that Donna Kay would have fought through the same way Fern did, but just to hear her sing, I can hear her voice right now. What a gorgeous gift. And she would have loved performing her whole life through. I don't know why she didn't. Mm, yeah, well, I, I love hearing the sort of the rest of the story, if you will, on her. What takeaways do you want your readers to have from the Glory Road? I have. I'm glad you asked that. I have had some reactions that have taught me what people are taking away. Mm -hmm. It's interesting when you sit down to write a book and say, this is what I wanna tell you about. Or as a friend of mine, a theater director says, the first thing when you set foot on a stage is, I came here to tell you this because. So I came here to tell you this because I, I had to finish it because my parents belong in a certain place in American music history. Yeah. And I didn't think anybody else was alive and had lived through that to place them there. So first I wanted to place them there. But what I've learned about how universal stories are, you know how very specific the Glory Road is in time and place and voice, music, religion, all of it's very time and place specific. Readers are telling me that what they're taking, many of them, is that you can feel alienated early on and think this is going to affect you for your whole life through, and yet you can gain strength from it. There can be some sort of a platform that you build under that under you based on that alienation. And I've begun to call it the underparented. Hmm. Our numbers are legion. And it's not just Ours was because of religious beliefs and because of my parents' utter and absolute devotion to each other above all. But I've met so many people who didn't meet parental expectations or who simply didn't have guidance. And they say that they find themselves in the glory road. Mm. You know, here I am mired in despair and here I am looking back at it and have survived it. Yeah, and and taken so much strength from it as a result. Oh, it's a wonderful feeling to write a book and hold it in your hand and think, there, I have told the story I came here to tell you, and then go out and speak to people and have them tell you a story that you didn't realize you'd written. (laughs) Well, it is The Glory Road, A Gospel Gypsy Life. Where can folks find this? Everywhere. (laughs) You know, it was released. It was released in the pandemic. So a lot of people thought that they couldn't get it. They preferred independent booksellers. You can, 
it may not be on the shelves because publishing has changed, but you can phone your favorite bookseller, walk in and ask them, ask your librarian to get it for you. It's in libraries. I don't know which ones, but I've heard people tell me their book club got it. And of course, Amazon, and you can order uh, from the University Press website. So basically anywhere you get books, you can get this. The ebook and the hardcover are from, uh, are, are available. And the audiobook, I don't know if it's in bookstores, but the audiobook is definitely on Amazon. <clears throat> the Glory Road, it is a great book. Anita, you are a great writer and uh, I, I'm glad that we've got a chance to meet and I can call you my friend. As well, oh, um, Anita, it's just a, it's a, a delight to get to visit with you. Get her book. You will love it. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you all for being with us. We'll see you again next time. Central Texas Life with Ann Harder is part of the Rogue Media family. Be sure to check out our other shows at roguemedianetwork.com. Please rate this show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Life with Ann Harder. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.